and lets that go out on the air, man. Yeah, man, I guess I should pay my pledge to KPFA. Hey, yeah, 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 yeah. I think I did it again. Didn't pay my pledge. What's wrong with my head? Call 510-848-6767 and pay your pledge to KPFA now. And you're listening to 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley. The time is 3.30. Stay tuned for Cover to Cover with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule So divide up those in darkness From the ones who walk in light Light them up, boys, there's your picture Drop the shadows This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Yes, my theme song always gets me back, yes, to that point. What do we call that? Uh, that awareness. Um, Kurt Weil and Bertolt Brecht in the 1930s. A little whiff of Weimar. Yes, so appropriate for this week, these times, you know, when friendly fascism looms over our heads. Uh, Berlin between the two world wars. Today, however, is um, September the 28th, 2004. Yes, uh, late, late, late in the day. <laughs> Next week we will be having a fundraiser here on KPFA. And I just want to put in a tiny plug. I'll have a premium to offer you, which is a great tome of a book. I don't have very many copies. I think maybe seven or eight. But it's a very, very... Important book by Hendrik Hertzberg. Uh, it's just titled Politics. Keep it simple, yes. Hendrik Hertzberg is the brilliant essayist, you know, the guy whose political analysis has graced the New Yorker for decades. I couldn't do without him. He, uh, he does something with politics that makes it readable for those of us who, um, for whom politics is a second language, you know, those of us who can't bear it, but know that it's what shapes our lives. You know, he makes it literary. He's a scholar and a wit. And uh, if you're serious about history, and if you want the facts, not the factoids, uh, and if you want it delivered in the kind of language that if it's not poetry, it's what I would call, what do we call that? It's the kind of essay that uh, you can take with you to... Um, students and know that they will read and enjoy. It's so hard these days. Uh, every time I hand a student or a young person uh, an essay or an article, they they kind of moan and groan a little and say, oh, oh, well, can't, can't you just tell me? That's, but, you know, someone has taken uh, months to perfect this little piece of prose. 
the New Yorker fact checks for months before they uh, publish something. And the one thing I like about them is uh, that they do have editors, unlike the the net. Uh, there's just so much you can digest. And it's nice to know that someone somewhere has at least, uh, you know, uh, done a little blue penciling. Uh, the essays in Hendrik Herzberg's uh, book, Politics, date all the way back to 1966. They're 1966 through 2004. And that's a big, big chunk. That's 40 years of American history. Uh, I highly recommend it, and I will try to read you some succinct bits next Tuesday today I have this wonderful disparate pile in front of me uh, our mail here uh, I've got yes everything from Kitty Kelly's The Family that's the skivvy the gossip on Bush uh, to a very heavy duty new magazine I got in the mail from uh, Half Moon Bay it's called The Salt Reader. Someone in Half Moon Bay has decided it's time for another progressive magazine. Okay. <laughs> Lots of luck. Uh, good stuff in it. Uh, I was just reading the review of Paul Krugman's book, The Great Unraveling, Losing Our Way in the New Century. A most excellent book for those of you who have the courage to struggle with economics. Uh, yes, indeed. <laughs> in... In uh, Paul Krugman's book, The Great Unraveling, Losing Our Way in the New Century, right, uh, reviewed by Jonathan Londell, L-U-N-D-E-L-L, -L, in The Salt Reader, this new magazine, he states, Alan Greenspan merits an entire chapter called Greenspanomics. Krugman traces Greenspan's transition from oracular gray eminence during the Clinton administration to partisan hack under Bush. A quote, when a man who is usually a clear thinker ties himself in intellectual knots in order to find a way to say exactly what the new president wants to hear, it's not hard to guess what's going on. But it's not a pretty sight. <laughs> the Great Unraveling... Uh, by John Krugman is, I think, well, for for my money, the best book on the economy. It's so scary. Oh, dear, dear, no more wringing of the hands. Uh, anyway, the editor of the Salt Reader has sent me copies. Uh, let's see. The Salt Reader comes uh, to us from Half Moon Bay. They've just got a P.O. box there in... Um, Black Oak, a couple of local stores you might ask around and say, do you have copies of the Salt Reader? Uh, they've got a P.O. Box. P.O. Box 3508 Half Moon Bay. And the zip code in Half Moon Bay, California, is 94019. Uh, this is uh, issue number one, and apparently they're just getting off the ground and um, trying to get it together for... More issues. Oh, everybody works so hard to get their stuff out there. I have this pretty book here. I was going to save it for a young girl I know. Just came in the mail. Trina Robbins. You know, Trina, she used to be a, well, she's still a cartoonist, but she's taken to writing uh, a lot of books. Konari Press is publishing her about women, uh, all kinds of wild women. And this new little book is called Wild Irish Roses. 
Tales of Bridget's, Kathleen's, and Warrior Queens. And, of course, I'll put this on my Irish shelf. It's got all the good stuff. Um, it's a wonderful book for a student I know, all about Deirdre and all about uh, the legendary and fictional and then the very, very real Irish women, all the way down to Mother Jones, my favorite um, labor leader. Wild Irish Roses by Trina Robbins and... Here is, let's see, I have one poem I, I do need to read you. It's from a KPFA listener called Peter O'Grady. And I'm not sure I asked Peter's permission to read this. Well, I guess I'm going to do it anyway. He, he writes me an email. He says, some things you said reminded me of a poem I wrote a few years ago, which I'm passing on to you. I think it was at, at some point in my despair. I was talking about... Uh, you know, <laughs> how awful things were, you know, and the reason we go on is because they are so bloody awful. Anyway, his poem is called The Color of a Bruise, and I like it especially because I use that title myself. Uh, I, I used it, I think, one little poem I published years ago um, about, uh, you know, it was a broken heart or broken romance. For some reason or another, the color of the bruise works better in Peter's poem here, Peter O'Grady's poem. He writes, The life of every artist begins and ends with suffering. During the middle, this person has a faint recollection of making a choice. A choice made before this consciousness, this life, to be aware, to be an artist rather than to simply exist. Knowing that the price will be the pain of knowing, called the cloud of unknowing, only because what we know is the painful truth that we do not know. Life is so terrible, and it is the terribleness that makes it wonderful. If you took the terribleness away, I think I would not be able to stand it. This reminds me, this poem by Peter O'Grady, The Color of the Bruise, reminds me of uh, one of my favorite Emily Dickinson lines. I had it done in calligraphy once and carried it around with me when I was... Oh, 40 and <laughs> still, still vulnerable, yes. Emily Dickinson wrote, It might be lonelier without the loneliness. Once again, thanks to Peter O'Grady for uh, this poem, The Color of the Bruise. Uh, anyway, let's see what else I've got here. Yes. <laughs> From the sublime to the ridiculous, Kitty Kelly, the family. Oh, boy, listen, uh, I don't want you to go out and pay money for Kitty Kelly's book, but I watched her on C-SPAN the other night. She was pretty funny. Uh, the New Yorker says she's more of a folklorist, you know, than a journalist, but her gossip is delightful. Uh, the Bush family provides her with all kinds of uh, material. Let's see. Uh, she presents Prescott, that would be the grandfather of George W., you know, uh, 
Prescott Bush, the father of um, uh, George Herbert, yes. Uh, he was an alcoholic senator who beat his children. Then we've got um, George H.W., that would be uh, Bush 41, 41st president of the U.S. Uh, George H.W., the tight-fisted husband, you know, the one with the mistress in mink. And then, let's see, uncles and brothers, and let's see, everybody is embroiled and uh, hanging out with dictators and Jap Japanese mafiosi. There's, uh, yes, Barbara Bush has a grudge-bearing uh, streak. So mean, you almost feel sorry for Nancy Reagan. Let's see, I remember, myself, I remember when Geraldine Ferraro appeared on the scene and... Uh, George Herbert Bush was running for vice president. They had a debate. <laughs> yes, one of those. And he was completely unprepared to date, uh, date, to, to, uh, debate this woman, uh, as an equal. And, uh, he, his anima kept rising. His voice got higher and higher till he was shrieking. But in any case, uh, at some point, uh, his wife, Barbara, uh, said, what was it, uh, she didn't use the word uh, bitch. She said it's a word that rhymes with witch. That's what she said, yes. She said that um, she and George enjoyed their money and that it wasn't uh, nice of uh, uh, Geraldine Ferraro to criticize them for their <laughs> their mendacity, yes. Let's see now, what else is in Kitty Kelly's book? Oh, all kinds of stuff, you know, uh, Oh, cocaine at Camp David, you know. Uh, let's see. Capping it all is George W. himself. That's the 43rd president, is he now? Who, from financial shadiness and substance abuse to his <laughs> more than suspect military record and a blithe confidence that he deserves all he has been given and more, uh, this guy, our present president, selected president, is portrayed um, uh, not as the family's black sheep, but as the epitome of its values. They, yes, they seem to think that he personifies all that is right with um, the Bush family. I think of the Buddhist definition of virtue, according to a good Buddhist precept, a virtue is skill in action. You know, the arrow that shoots straight. And good God only knows, um, George Bush does not fulfill that uh, definition of, of virtue. If anyone is a screeching incompetent, it is our present president. Uh, let's see. What was it? Somebody said the other day, yes, John Kerry isn't perfect. Your John Kerry isn't perfect, not like you and me. <laughs> but he will do. As a public servant, he will do um what else have i got here yes oh what a tangled web is wove by carl rove ah this is a letter from my oldest son oh the mailbag is wonderful today yes oh what a tangled web is wove by carl rove and he sends me all these wonderful things from uh common dreams dot org and uh stuff from the nation okay uh Published Monday, September 20th, commondreams.org. Check this out. Tom Hartman, always a wonderful writer. Um, he, he 
he really gets into this, um, you know, the business about Dan Rather, just cut out their tongues is the name of the article by Tom Hartman. Uh, and what he points out, of course, is that the Bush family has had it in for Dan Rather for 16 years. Uh, they have nursed a 16-year grudge because um, uh, it, back in uh, the Iran-Contra affair, uh, George H.W. Bush was confronted on network television uh, for his various roles in that criminal affair, you know, the Iran-Contra business. Uh, and he was never forgiven by the Bush family. Um, actually, later it came out that uh, the Iran-Contra affair, uh, let's see, there was an investigation started by Senator John Kerry. Ha <laughs> ha, yes. Anyway, <laughs> on and on we go, folks. Uh, isn't it interesting? The stuff is so dense, so deep. There's so much of it. Um, unbelievable. Yes, Bush's brain is another one here. Piles and piles of this stuff, folks. I uh, do plan to uh, take a deep breath and watch the presidential debate this Thursday. Uh, I suppose we can call it a debate. We know that it's basically just a kind of press conference, a presentation um, the fix is in. There is a nice book uh, called No Debate. Check it out. George Farah's No Debate. And it gives you the whole, give you the details, the whole background on the history of presidential uh, and political debates. Uh, the point these days, of course, is total control. Uh, nobody wants to make a mistake. I think of my favorite poet, the great Gertrude Stein. I remember once I used a line of hers and my students got so angry. She wrote, patriarchal poetry makes no mistake. And I kept trying to explain to them what that meant, you know, that, that it takes no risks, that they never go outside the lines. Anything that is run by a... Uh, uh, patriarchy, you know, uh, is all about rules and uh, authority. Uh, we can't have these people actually talking to each other and asking direct questions. That would muck up everything. Uh, in any way, in any case, uh, the League of Women Voters were the sponsors of the presidential debates until things got serious back in 1986. And then the uh, control freaks took over. The League of Women Voters threw up its hands and said it's undemocratic. You can't have uh, all these rules. Um, they reached a breaking point, and the Commission on Presidential Debates took over. This is a conservative outfit. Uh, it's a corporate carnival. Uh, they actually hawk their wares, beer and tobacco, um, uh, you know, out in the front lobby while the debates are going on. Bush, I'm sure, will just proclaim victory and uh, uh, smirk the way he does. Senator Kerry will explain and explain and describe the complexities and contradictions and ambiguities and difficulties and, uh, God forbid, the nuances involved in running uh, this state. <laughs> if you need help convincing anyone that the United States is sunk in a quagmire... Uh, please refer them to a short, concise comment. Uh, it's uh, by George Packer, P-A-C-K-E-R, George Packer, in the, again, 27 September issue of The New Yorker. Yes, uh, 
It's called The Political War. Very, very interesting piece. Kind of sums it all up. Um, it shows how Karl Rove has managed to create this macho myth. You know, uh, when catastrophic failures are brought to the president's attention, well, he simply changes the subject. He's a clever boy. Uh, I heard George Bush this week uh, asking, well, how would you feel if you were the parent of two children living in Manhattan on the morning of 9-11 and you had to decide which child to look for first? This guy is beyond, beyond scandal. Uh, in any case, it's pretty obvious that most people don't seem to care whether Iraq is guilty of the 9-11 bombing or even whether they had weapons of mass destruction. Most people simply want revenge and uh, they just want to go whack someone, yes. If the American people let George Bush keep the White House in November, then I think uh, the world will... Uh, the world will take a deep breath and begin to believe that maybe all of us, all of us Americans, are responsible for this mess. Uh, for myself, I plan to do whatever I can every day from now until the election to ensure that John Kerry is in the White House in November or wins the White House. Um, checking here in my notes, my pal Becky O'Malley, the executive editor of the Berkeley Daily Planet, has a good editorial. Uh, September 21st, Berkeley Daily Planet, she says, she says the title is Wine After the Election, Not Now. What she's pointing to is all this left-wing nattering and chattering and scolding of uh, Senator Kerry. You know how we are adversarial. We just shred uh, anyone who even looks like a... <laughs> They, they might be authentic, honest, or real. From the New York Times to the nation, as I said, there is a good positive piece. Back in March, March 15th, 2004, David Korn wrote a great endorsement of Kerry in the nation. The article is, What's Right with Kerry? Once again, that one is on the Common Dreams website. Uh, it's all about his, uh, his background. <laughs> you know, an authentic war hero. For some reason or another, uh, the Bush people managed to spin that so that, uh, what is it, that, uh, you know, right is wrong and left is right and so forth. Of course, I know, I know in my heart that John Kerry isn't perfect. Uh, he's not like you or me, not like Jesus Christ. He's just not perfect. I mean, his voting record in the Senate is to the left of Ted Kennedy. Shocking, shocking. The guy married a rich widow, and she's five years older than he is. She's 65. Shocking. She gives these speeches talking as much about herself as she does about her husband. And, uh, well, the woman throws around terms like WTO and CDC, and she doesn't stop to say, well, that's the World Trade Organization or the Center for Disease Control. And an old friend of mine the other day said, uh, What's an NGO? Anyway, uh, I guess uh, Teresa Heinz Carey gives the impression uh, of being an intellectual, and that doesn't fly. I mean, uh, oh, some people just don't know about big ag subsidies or Kyoto. Um, audiences may not uh, like her catchphrases. 
She says, uh, thinking in silos, and she says, Socratic dialogue. Mm-hmm. Cornell West uses Socratic dialogue a lot. Uh, I like Cornell West. <laughs> Socratic dialogue, and his other one is, uh, what is it? Prophetic Christianity, that's the good kind, you know, the Jesus kind. And then there's a, a Constantinian or state Christianity, yes. Um, that's not so good. Uh, let's see, Teresa Hines Carey, she does try to connect the dots. I see her quoted as saying here, put your arms around the problem and it begins to get solved. That's a nice, uh, yes, reminiscent of old Hillary. The best profile um, out this week uh, is Judith Thurman's piece. Judith Thurman is one of my favorite, favorite journalists, um, great writer. She wrote uh, this beautiful biography of Isaac Dennison years ago. Anyway, Judith Thurman has profiled um, The Candidate's Wife. That's the title of the piece, The Candidate's Wife. Once again, 27 September, New Yorker. Uh, a wise and compassionate woman, apparently, Heinz Carey is, uh, a class act like hers, well, you know, the Yahoos are going to have a field day with that one. Uh, <laughs> I mean, she and her husband are Catholics, but her oldest son, John Hines, became a Buddhist. He founded an alternative school where he teaches troubled adolescents. <laughs> Just think what the right wing can do with that. His wife is a doctor. Their daughter is the only uh, grandchild for Teresa. Anyway, um, these folks, uh, they have hints of new age uh, behavior. I mean, Teresa Hines carries even into holistic healing and alternative medicine. Ouch. Uh, when she's asked how she feels about the cheap caricatures of her personal eccentricities, she says, well, it's sad that in America people have to put up with that kind of thing, but it is sadder still that so many people like it. I think this woman is probably too sophisticated for the White House. Too international, cosmopolitan, independent, too real, too earthy. But just imagine, if you can, for a moment, just project a great leap into the 21st century. An historic breakthrough would be a feminist coup, actually. Imagine this truly modern marriage... This competent, honest pair of liberals leading the nation. If politics is the art of the possible, if things get just a little bit better or one hell of a lot worse overnight, then let us try to do the doable and get that shameful scandal out of the White House. Help the Democratic Party recover from the long-term effects of... What has rightly been called a vast right-wing conspiracy, a climate, a political climate, which is crushing all of us, crushing us, body and soul. Now, uh, for the next two weeks, I will not be on the Thursday morning spot on KPFA. Uh, that's because of the fundraiser. But I may, um, let's see, I may be on the third week. We'll see if we get the money raised. But I will be back here Tuesday 
with Henry Kertzberg's book, Politics, next Tuesday at 3.30. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadow out of sight. An editorial from the Pacifica National Board. The political situation in the Caribbean island nation of Haiti is grave. Backed by the United States government, armed gangs overthrew the democratically elected government of President Jean-Bertrand Aristide on February 29th. Human rights groups report the systematic repression of Aristide government supporters. The Pacifica Foundation joins with human rights groups around the world to demand that the de facto Haitian authorities stop the threats, arrests, and persecution of union organizers, grassroots community activists, and supporters of President Aristide. Like Haiti's Caribbean neighbors, we call for a full independent investigation of the events which resulted in the overthrow of a democratically elected government and a foreign military occupation that is particularly unwelcome during Haiti's 2004 bicentennial. We also call for the immediate return of President Aristide to the full power of his office as Haiti's elected president. This has been an editorial from the Pacifica National Board. You're tuned to 94.1 FM KPFA in Berkeley, 88.1 FM KFCF in Fresno, and Radio X in Seattle. Stay tuned for Hard Knock Radio. One, two, three, four. Y'all ready for this?